Welcome to Two Cents FC. I'm your host, L. Johnson. Uh, our guy Moby is in here today. He had a late practice, so running this one solo. Um, so, as you know, each week we'll be talking about talking to individuals around the soccer world, learning about their stories, and getting their unfiltered thoughts and opinions. So this week we have NISA Commissioner John Pruch. Did I say that right? There you got it. Pruch? Definitely. Okay. Yep. And so obviously we'll be talking about NISA, um, including the Legends Cup, their growth initiatives, expansion teams, and more. And we'll also be saluting Desiree Ellis for Black Soccer History. So we don't have a Moby here this week, but you know we obviously um, play a game at the beginning of the show called Two Truths in the Cap. So this is a rapid fire, kind of a, a nice icebreaker game that we like to play where you'll tell us three facts about yourself. Um, two will be true, one will be a lie, and usually a Moby and I would guess, but I guess I'll be the one guessing this week. So yeah. whenever you're ready. I'll, I'll make it easy on you. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Um, first off, I have three children. Second, I have an MBA. And third, I'm from Dubuque, Iowa. Mm. I'll say Iowa is the lie. No, I don't have an MBA. Uh. <laughs> oh, well. Okay. Well, hey, can't win them mm. all. <laughs> No, that's right. You know, every now and then in an interview, I'll make a statement like, you know, in a in a open system, a community like Dubuque, Iowa, can even have a professional team. <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, cool. I haven't been there in a long, long time. But I hear Iowa is a lovely place. It is. A lot, it a lot can of corn be. out there. Or yeah, there is Nebraska. there is a lot of corn. Yes, I would. <laughs> agree with that all right nice so one question we like to ask each of our guests every every week is when did you fall in love with soccer so i fell in love with soccer when my kids were growing up in uh the 90s um and uh, i decided to be well my wife signed me up to be a coach right and that's the typical story of how most people get into the game and before i knew it i was coaching and didn't know what I was doing. I learned the game, fell in love with the game. And as the kids got older, um, started coaching travel, um, took them all over the country and, you know, uh, had a lot of fun with it, really loved it. Then um, as the kids got off to college, um, you know, I was very active in investment banking and doing turnarounds. And one of the turnarounds I did was um, Umbro uh, USA. Uh, actually, the whole Umbro International as well, but Umbro USA owned a piece of USL back in the day. Um, and so as a result of that uh, experience, I was on the board of USL for a bit. And that was in the late 90s. And that's when I got a um, kind of a peek under the tent of how the world was being run in soccer. Um, and uh, to say that there was... Um, um, some things were lacking would be an understatement. So I went about my business and then, um, it, we did some work in the soccer world. We did, um, uh, as a, as an organization at club nine, we did work with, um, Sheffield Wednesday. We did the Glasgow Rangers deal when they were in bankruptcy, uh, or administration as they call it over there. 
uh, and some other stuff in, in the States. We've done a couple of MLS deals. Um, and then we were working with the NASL, you know, towards the end uh, of their existence. And so uh, Peter Wilt and his partner, Jack Cummins, uh, approached me about their old friends, about advising them on doing NISA. And that's how this process started. Um, and so I was absolutely all in, uh, committed to the, the fact that this country needs an open system uh, versus the closed systems that we're used to. So as you probably know, about a year into that process, uh, Jack passed away suddenly. And, um, and then uh, shortly thereafter, Peter uh, was made an offer he couldn't say no to and went to Forward Madison. And so NISA was about, it was languishing. So we made decision as a firm, what do we want to do? So we picked up the baton and started running with it and, and um, put together the original sanctioning package. And then uh, a few months later, um, I was concerned as, as were a, a number of board members with the direction, the initial direction it was being taken. And so it's like the old saying, you know, if you don't like the way your community's being run, then run for mayor. So lo and behold, soon, you know, found myself in a position where I had to uh, give up my responsibilities at Club Nine and take over as commissioner. And that was, uh, oh my gosh, it'll be two years in June. So it's, uh, time flies when you're having fun. Yeah, for sure. So that's a little bit of the story. Yeah. So you mentioned, um, investment banking and also working with a lot of sports teams. Can you give us a kind of a window of how that looks like what that process is like? From like sure. We, uh, yeah, let me use, uh, we made, uh, we represented um, uh, a bid for the Marlins a couple of years ago uh, when uh, Derek Jeter uh, won, won the bid and we were on the other side representing um, the Romney family and a number of other investors and, um, Finish second. The process is rather grueling, uh, especially with large transactions like that, because no one writes out a check for 1.2 billion. So you, you know, you have to circle up the investors. You have to put together the debt. You have to negotiate. I mean, it's just uh, lawyers are everywhere you can think of. So it's 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 a difficult process. And so, um, but you know, it's it's. Um, it's, it's a game that, that I love to play and, um, um, but it is, it's all about negotiations and, you know, leverage and capital. And so it's, it's, and it has its moments. It's, it's fun, but it's very, very, uh, stressful business. And by the way, and so we did do, uh, we have worked in, uh, baseball as well. I didn't mention that, but we've done a couple transactions with the Yankees um and then of course the marlins transaction which didn't come together but uh was we spent um 15 months on it it was a lot of work so, so by sure. the way I, yeah by the way i'll tell you that um i think my investment banking background actually is a benefit to what we are doing here um mm -hmm. this is not easy um, um but it's also worth it um, but getting through the pandemic um, was very stressful financially uh, for our clubs. 
all of our owners were feeling the pain in their other businesses. And so it, it took some creativity and a lot of dedication by our owners uh, um, to get through it. And, um, and I think the fact that I have that background helped uh, because I was used to high stress situations and, and working with investors to get through situations like that. So, yeah, I was just about to, to say that, um, you know, having that background definitely should, should have at least made the, the process a little bit smoother when it came to dealing with the, the clubs. And like, I'm sure there was also advice that you could give the clubs, um, from like a financially solvent position. Yeah. So I think that's a really strong um, kind of background to have as a commissioner of the league. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I, I think that's the case. I, th I do think it's got its benefits. The other thing is it's really, it's easy to um, um, call bullshit, if you will, right? You know, if someone is trying to get into the league and they, you know, you just you know, don't pass the smell test, right? So yeah. I think it's... Um, um, that's why I do think it's a benefit. I appreciate the comment. Yeah. And we're going to come back to that. Um, definitely have some questions about what it takes to get into the league, what that process mm -hmm. is like, but before we get there, um, you mentioned, you know, applying for applying with the Federation, um, yep. know, for, for a spot. Um, how has working with us soccer been, you know, as Nisa has kind of like having this independent model versus a franchise model, which is what everyone's used to. Um, do you feel like you've received the same level of support as maybe like a USL? So, so I, uh, that's an interesting question there. Um, I would say that the people we deal directly with are very supportive. I think um, there's a lot of politics in soccer in this country at every level, at the youth level, the adult level, the pro level, um, a lot of turf wars, um, which is unfortunate. Um, I, I think on the independent side, uh, the closed system really kind of figured the independent side would never figure itself out because they kind of eat each other. Right. And, yeah. and so, um, and it, it, it is, it is, it's very true. It's very political. And so um, the initial sanctioning was, was a process uh, continues to be a process for us. Um, I think when we get to a tipping point of maybe 15 clubs that, you know, the pressure will let up a bit. But when I first got in um, that first season, um, you know, it was like, okay, we're, you know, I got here in June and we're starting in August and um, we weren't ready as a league. Um, we had a couple clubs um, stumble. Mm -hmm. uh, the most uh, notable one was Philadelphia. And um, so I was, uh, had to no negotiate contracts mid season with their players which is never a, a pleasant process and then trying to make arrangements for them to get looks at in other clubs. And so uh, that hurt us in the eyes of US soccer and rightfully so, right? Yeah. Um, and so our job is to make sure that that doesn't happen again. And if you think it's going to happen, um, you don't let the club on the pitch or you do something about it. Um, and that's what's happened with Stumptown, right? Mm -hmm. uh, sometime was, was, um, we believe in that market. Um, their owner had some struggles as a result of the pandemic. Um, and we didn't feel that, um, they were ready to take the pitch. And so we did what I think 
needed to be done, which was say, okay, let's start fresh here. And we're supporting that market. Um, and I think um, may, we made some decisions on who should be there in key positions. Um, and so far I'm very pleased. Um, you know, I, we'll see what happens in the next two weeks here on the pitch. I have a lot of faith in Rod. He just hasn't had a lot of time yet, but, but it'll be okay. And, but it was the right decision because had we allowed them to take the pitch the way they were, there was a fairly significant chance they weren't going to make it through. So why go through that? Right. Yeah. So again, I think my background helped a little bit on that. I mean, I'm not loved necessarily by everybody because of some of those decisions, but you know, you have to do what's in the best interest of the whole. And um, our best interest was to save that market because we think that market, the Matthew specific market is a great market. Um, and with all due respect to the independents, uh, they're going to move and um, they're struggling on their own with other issues. And so it was perfect time for us to, to re keep our commitment to that market. For sure. So can you uh, kind of share with us what that looks like? So does the league own Stumptown or are they correct. kind of, okay. So it's kind of a custodian it is. Team until we can find a new new owner. That is correct, and we're currently in discussions with um, with investors to to take that club over. Um, and I fully anticipate that that'll happen sometime in the next three four months, um, and they'll be on solid footing. And the, and the biggest thing was was making sure that when an investor looked at that club, it was more than just a market or an idea. There was actually some substance there. And uh, Fred and Carrie and Rod, that's what they're bringing is substance and organization, right? Something that an investor or investor group can build upon. And so and that was important to us that we just not save it, but we save it in the right way. Exactly. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So that's a perfect segue um, when it comes to clubs joining the league. Mm -hmm. um, what, are some, what are the requirements? You know, what are the fees if you can share that? Um, sure. Like what's, what's the process like for a team wanting to join NISA? So uh, every club has to adhere to uh, pro league standards that are put up by uh, U.S. soccer. And for uh, our level of men's professional, $10 million net worth and a number of other things. But that's the big initial hurdle that primary team owner has to get over. Mm -hmm. uh, I will just comment now that we're the only country in the world where um, a 100% owned uh, fan owned club like a Barcelona or um, a club that's owned by a foundation could never be a professional club in this country because of those standards. And so it's, it's um, I understand why they're there um, because there were so many failures in the past that they had to have some standards that they thought people could live up to. But at the end of the day, um, the league knows, I know, which teams are going to be there for a long period of time and which ones aren't. And it doesn't matter the size of someone's pocketbook, right? I mean, you know, a billionaire could own a club and walk away from it. And that's happened in USL this year. So it's, it's you know, I, uh, so, but anyway, I'm off subject. <laughs> but uh, the primary hurdle for, a, for an investor is the $10 million and then being able to, to um, convince our board 
that they have a business plan and a um, operational structure that can, has a chance of being successful. Okay. So you said network, 10 million, um, a solid business plan. Um, yep. Are there any like initial fees that they need to have coming in? Like this, of that $10 million valuation, do they need to have like X amount down to be able to buy in well, or how does that work? <laughs> so, yeah, so, you know, it's fairly public that USL charges a fairly significant franchise fee. Um, all we do is I just require that I personally get a million dollars. I'm joking about that. We don't, <laughs> we don't, we don't charge fees for like that. What we do is um, we give uh, the teams buy a membership in our league. We're an LLC and they buy a membership in our league. And we would much rather have them spend millions of dollars on their club and in their community than invest it in buying a piece of the league. So it's a, everything's, you know, um, it changes the amount, but it's a, it's a fraction of what USL charges for a championship club. Got it. Okay. And so to that point, you know, mentioned um you mentioned like getting the 15 teams to kind of get u.s soccer off your back a little bit there's been yeah. announcements there's been you know rumblings and announcements of expansion you know uh yeah. bay cities fc just announced today their um intent to file an application for nisa we've heard about atlanta as well as providence um from other podcasts um right so what markets i don't well i don't know if you can say but um in terms of expansion and growth what's what right. some key markets that that nisa doesn't have filled yet that you would like to see filled well there were, there were two markets that left nisa um and we're pretty intent on replacing those markets okay. so we named one today you can probably guess the other one um and then from a, i won't be specific about where the markets are uh, other than to say there are a couple in the East. Um, yeah, let me think here. Uh, a couple in the East and uh, let's see. Hang on a second. Let me check my notes here. <laughs> um, yeah, I think you're, I think we're going to end up with uh, three announcements in the East and um, that four announcements in the east in the next 30 days so uh, they'll be kind of spread along the east coast the the west coast one by the way um in 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 the bay area it was a big one for us um they have a very good academy um they're a very really solid club um i, I think they're going to have tremendous success there uh, they're in a great location right yeah. uh so um yeah i'm very excited about that yeah, and we need to populate the West a little bit more. So it's great. Yeah, I'm a Bay Area native. Um, I live in Atlanta, mm -hmm. in the Atlanta area, but I'm a Bay Area native. So I was happy to see, you know, some teams, you know, joining the fold over there as well. Um, so to that point, though, you mentioned one needing to populate the West a little bit more, you know, new teams coming in the East. What about um, same market teams? So, for example, mm -hmm. say Atlanta if Atlanta comes in and say there's another right. Atlanta team that wants to come in, are there territorial yep. rights that, you know, will restrict that type of thing? Or do you guys promote that, you know, inner city competition, so to speak? 
Yeah, so I, I would I would tell you as part of the open system, you want derbies, right? You want, yeah. you know, uh, multiple clubs in the same community if you can, right? Without, you know, really hurting the other club. But boy, you, you know, you look at um, the rivalry, if you will, that's being developed between Michigan Stars and Detroit City. It's pretty intense, um, but it's great, right? I mean, it, it's it, it's great for the sport. Um, so yes, uh, we're all about that, you know, LA and, and, um, Cal United are not that far apart. Um, so we, we really like that. We have two clubs in New York and, um, so we'll do that whenever we can. Uh, it just makes sense for us. It, it reemphasizes what the open system is about on top of everybody thinks of pro rel, right. Mm -hmm. And we had an announcement last week, uh, with EPSL and, Put together a, a, an entire pro rail structure through numerous organizations up to Nisa Nation, and I think at some point that's that's for us exciting. And I think if we can do that at, at the professional level, we'll do that, right? I mean, we have a ways to go in getting all that worked out with U.S. Soccer, but that would be great to do, right? So that every game means something, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's actually going to be my next question. Um, you know thinking about those lower leagues and Nisa Nation, um, that path to the from a development league into Nisa Pro, you know, what right. that would look like. And you just mentioned, you just kind of answered it, you know, with the pro rail structure. Um, one question with, with that, though, like if a team, say a team gets, you know, promoted to Nisa Pro, but they may not have the the net worth um, requirement. Right. How, how, how does that look? Do they have to stay where they are or are they? Yes, yeah, so... So let's deal with it like it's we're um, we have our existing pro league and then maybe someday we have a division two pro league. Right. Mm -hmm. And so somebody has a $10 million net worth, but the the uh, qualifications for division two are 20 million. Mm -hmm. So you could easily see someone not being able to move up. We that's what we have to work through. Uh, we would rather not tell someone, hey, well, congratulations, you got promoted, but you can't move up, right? So that's our job to get that done and, and negotiated with U.S. soccer. Um, and, and that's going to take a bit. It's going to take some time because they're just not built for the open system. They're built for the closed system. So it, it's going to take a little bit of time to get there. Okay. So I'm kind of switch gears here a little bit. Um, right. You know, with your investment banking background, having worked with teams and administration and stuff like that, um, mm -hmm. we recently saw Ron Burkle pull out of the Sacramento MLS oh. bid um, due to yeah. business impacts from COVID. Um, is this a, that can't be a good sign for, you know, MLS in terms of like, do we think mm -hmm. because of the valuations and, mm -hmm. you know, the high franchise fees, like, could we, could we be seeing a bubble on that level? Um, and then how has the pandemic affected Nisa's growth? But it's kind of a two-sided question, but. Yeah, well, let me deal with the valuation issue first. I think okay. um, I'm not inside MLS. Um, so, you know, this is all speculation from the outside. Mm -hmm. uh, 325 seems to me to be a, a fairly high uh, pulse bottom, right? Uh, that could burst. And I, I know a lot of uh, valuation for them comes from some. Um, their marketing arm, uh, which has been very successful. And I would say that um, Don Garber and his team have been very successful at the growth. Uh, he did a great job of saving that league some years ago. Uh, 
Um, but it's hard to maintain that value, I think, right? Yeah. Um, because traditional valuations driven by a lot of things other than just what the next franchise sells for. It's driven by revenues or profits or um, uh, things like that. And it, it's fairly standard across the world. You know, sports teams are uh, valued on a multiple of revenues depending upon how high they are, or where they stand, sit, like whether it's baseball or football or um, soccer, it doesn't matter. So it's, um, you know, is it a bubble? I, I, you know, I don't know. I think it's unfortunate that that happened. Um, uh, I think it's, um, Sacramento's a great market. Uh, Sac Republic has been, has had a lot of success. It was really, really unfortunate for MLS and for the game that that would happen um, and be so public about, you know, th that that issue being so public and, and uh, him pulling out. But those things happen. Investors go through, you know, moments where they say, uh, no mas, right? And so I get that, uh, but it's truly unfortunate that they couldn't fix it before it got to that point. Yeah, definitely. And so how do you, how do you, so what if, if MLS, does if the bubble does pop on MLS, how do you see that affecting the rest of the pyramid? So I think what's, you know, if I had a crystal ball, uh, I would say that MLS is going to be fine. Mm. Um, you know, I know that uh, there's speculation out there and Infantino even made a comment about, you know, if they did a merger with Mexico, you know, they'd probably, they'd probably agree to it. MLS, uh, we can't worry about MLS and what we're doing. What, what we're doing is we're trying to build an open system within the independent structure, which right. if, if you take out, say, 30 MLS clubs and you take out, uh, I don't know how many professional clubs USL has between League One and League Two. Now they lost a few, so maybe it's uh, 40. I don't know. Um, so now you're at 70 clubs in this country. And a lot of them are in um, same city, like, like two MLS clubs in LA, two in New York. And so there's hardly any communities that are you know, represented in that group. And so the open system can control this country and the development of soccer in this country, if we do it right, um, because the opportunity is so mass, massive, excuse me. So, um, you know, I, um, so if Dubuque, Iowa has a professional team, as an example, it, um, there, are, it, it, how many cities are like Chattanooga, right? Or, yeah. I mean, I mean, and so, and, and, and if you build that system the right way, uh, so that players have a true path to pro and, through a youth club and an academy and amateur and into a NISA pro professional level, and then clubs have that same opportunity, that is the system that five years from now is going to dominate the landscape of the United States. Yeah, that, I was actually about to ask, um, as we're talking about the pyramid and you know NISA's plans for pro rail, what's the max? Um, for NISA Pro, like the max amount of teams that you guys will expand to before you? Uh... Yeah, the board really hasn't made that decision yet, but I think if we get to 20, we have to start thinking about another uh, level, mm -hmm. a professional level. 
Um, you know, this was, I don't think, you know, we're a division three level, if you will, with US soccer right now. I'm not sure that, that uh, you know, if you're a true open system that you can only have one professional level, but uh, yeah. who knows, we'll see. Okay, so what is the next five years for Nisa look like? What's the grand mm. vision for like mm. the next, the roadmap, so to speak? <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I, ma I made a comment a couple of weeks ago on a um, broadcast a podcast that we are, uh, we always have, a, we have a five-year plan and we get it up every day and we kind of measure ourselves against that. And so if I look out five years, I'm saying that the pyramid is pretty large. Uh, right now, we probably have 350 amateur clubs um, as part of our foundation through our affiliations. Mm -hmm. I think that number could probably be, you know, 500 plus, maybe 600. Um, I think we could end up with Nisa Nation, which is our full year amateur um, league. You know, uh, having eight regions, uh, eight to 10 teams per region and a division two and a, and a division three professional levels and if we can get that done in you know, over the course of the next five years holy cow i mean think about the development of the game for players right and the opportunities that that exist as a result and if, if we can do this right um there will never be will start having an impact on the national uh, scene, national team scene. Mm -hmm. And there will never be a reason for the U.S. not to qualify. So I, I think, um, but that's, you know, there's there's a lot between here and there. And those are big visions and big goals, yeah. but I think we can get there. Yeah. So you mentioned Nisa Nation and its kind of mm -hmm. network. Um, through expanding and growing that network, you know, with, with partnerships, do you guys see those leagues eventually rebranding under NISA or acquiring through acquisition or growing through acquisition? No, I don't. Uh, I, I like the fact that they're independent and we have a, an affiliation board uh, so that they have a voice. I don't, I don't see the need for NISA to control everything. Um, I, I see NISA being the architect here and controlling the higher levels. Um, yeah. But I don't see us trying to control everyone. Cool. Okay, so let's talk about the Legends Cup. Mm. Um, so tournament, preseason tournament we have going on right now in Chattanooga. Um, you know, we had a pretty successful tournament last year um, in the did. bubble in Detroit. Um, Detroit mm -hmm. City came out the, the winners there. Um, how do you envision, or do you envision this being uh, an annual preseason event, or is this just something to kind of get started for this year? So let me make one one correction. It, it really isn't preseason. Our season is broken into two pieces. One is the tournament, and the other is the home and away portion. So, Got it. Um, no, I don't. I think the reason we call this the Legends Cup um, is to honor our players. We had a tournament in the fall now a tournament here in the spring. I'm not sure we're going to be able to ever do this again. We might be able to do a preseason, you know, a small tournament, but, um, you know, uh, the tournaments get a lot of exposure, but in a true open system, what we want to do is a single table. 
And um, if we have, let's say 20 clubs or 17 clubs or 25 clubs, a single table through the course of two seasons, spring and fall and spring, uh, that's about all you can do, right? I mean, there, there's not much time there for uh, another uh, tournament. Yeah. That said, um, you know, you could do a, a tournament in midwinter if you wanted to when we're down, uh, maybe in Florida or something like that, but we haven't gotten there yet. But so understanding that this might be our last tournament like this, um, we decided that, um, you know, uh, to honor the players. So, you know, as you know, legends can be made over the course of a career or in a year, or in a game, in a moment, right? I mean, we had a couple of those moments, right? Marcano scoring the bicycle kick was a pretty spectacular. His first goal ever as a pro was pretty special. And so our way of honoring these guys is saying, okay, let's go make some legends here, right? And this is all about you. And the players have really, uh, they've taken the bit. They, I mean, uh, to say they were excited to get on the pitch is, is, an, is an understatement. And I think um, the first day, uh, we had some good matches, or, you know, a little bit of nerves you could see, and but the quality was was pretty good. It was fairly open. All three games were fairly open. Um, Chattanooga um, made a couple of adjustments after LA scored, and wow, a couple of individual plays that were unbelievable. And so I'm I'm really pleased. I think as the tournament goes, this is a very unforgiving format, which is un, you know fortunate because. This, the intensity is there. Everybody understands it's do or die. Um, but it's also, if you misstep in that first round, it can be di difficult to get your way back. And so yeah. um, so it's going to be exciting. And the next few rounds are going to be very exciting. I'm looking forward to, let's say, I guess tomorrow, right? Yeah, tomorrow we have three games. So it'll be fun. Yeah, most definitely. And you mentioned that these tournaments have been great for exposure. Um, and one thing that's helped that is you guys' partnership with BN. So how important yeah. has that been to the leagues, um, making the elite accessible to out of to people who are out of market? You know, this is uh, it really is uh, very important. Uh, we had a uh, together with them a very successful fall campaign. You know, the tournament and um, they were convinced that you know we uh, outperformed what I thought we would do and what they thought we would do and. Um, people would love the style of the game that we play. And, and so it, right as soon as the tournament got over, we had a, um, a, a conversation about extending that for the spring. So the intent is to get through the spring and then negotiate a longer term deal. Um, but it is nice yeah, being on Bean. I think the announcers the other day did a great job. Uh, they came in, you know, rehearsed, and, you know, they understand who the players are and the clubs are and uh, what's important for us, you know, that they don't say franchise, they say club, those types of things. Uh, but I think it's, um, uh, but there is going to be a long-term relationship uh, with uh, being, I, I anticipate that, now we'll see. But, um, uh, but yeah, we're very pleased with the relationship so far. Excellent. Yeah, I think that, that broadcast deal can do wonders for not only um, exposing the league to lots of people, but also kind of legitimizing it to a, to a degree. You know, you have your yeah. your franchise purists out there who may not, you know, recognize NISA because it's not under the typical system. Um, but, you know, having that backing from a major, 
you know, a major broadcast corporation and being able to put them on the, on similar levels as USL and, and MLS from a an exposure point of view, I think is paramount. Yeah, I think that, I think you're, you're right. I think it it gave in the fall it gave us uh, some credibility. It surprised some people, and then I think the quality of the broadcast surprised more people, um, and it it kind of reinforced uh, for the general public. Uh, what we've been saying is, you, you know, we have our true believers in what we, we're doing, in, but our, our, our job is to spread the gospel, if you will, and uh, being is, is, is helping us do that. That's wonderful. The league also recently made um, another big announcement. Uh, they, they announced um, an equity committee. So this mm -hmm. committee features mm -hmm. players, coaches, and owners from across the league. Um, so can you share what birthed this committee and some of its initiatives? Sure. This was something that we announced in the fall that we were going to do. And, and it, um, and I will say that, uh, Steve and, and Samantha from our shop, uh, did a really good job of pulling this together. This is, um, very important to me personally and very important to the league and to the clubs. And I, I will tell you that, um, this is a massive issue, um, worldwide but it's a massive issue here in the United States. Um, and Nisa is just a small piece of the global soccer world, but soccer is the most popular game in the world. So if there's any one game that can maybe change the hearts and minds of people, it's soccer. And so our initial um, task at hand is to create a safe environment for our players, coaches, and staff. So when they go to work, they don't have to worry about this nonsense that's out there. Yeah. Um, I, I'll tell you, and, and you know, this the 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 idea of hate speech on social media or threatening someone's life because they missed a penalty, uh, to me is 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 absurd. I mean, it's it, it's unbelievable to me that it even exists. And, um, you know, kudos to Swansea for what they're doing and, and calling attention to the effect of social media. And, and I'm going to take it one step further and I, I'll probably get in trouble for saying this, but social media, um, you know, Facebook and Twitter can stop this. Um, you know, it's, you know, and, and and I don't want to get political, but I, I just want to state a fact. If they can stop a sitting president for hate from um, because of hate speech, mm -hmm. they can stop some guy sitting in his basement that's typing something on a keyboard. And for the life of me, I don't know why Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg just don't put an end to it. You know, the, the idea of that hate speech is part of freedom of speech is 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 nonsense it's bullshit yeah. so the first thing that we have to do is stop it right and then we have to educate and then we have to change the hearts and minds so i'll get off my soapbox now but i think our committee um is going to help guide me and the, the owners and the league to create a safe environment uh, for our players coaches and staff and initially and then we'll we'll take it from there. Uh, but for me, that's paramount. We our players have to feel comfortable when they take the pitch, that a mistake's not going to cost them uh, something other than maybe a, you know a game. So um, 
uh, and I think the the task force or the committee is 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 prepared to do that. As you mentioned, we have owners, players, coaches, staff from the league, staff from clubs on that committee. And when they sit around that table, and I talked to them the other night uh, at the meeting, uh, they're all equal. It doesn't matter. And so they all have an equal voice. And so, um, it, you know, we'll see what happens, but I'm cautiously optimistic that, and I, like I told them, we're here to walk the walk. We're not here to talk the talk. Everybody talks the talk. And so um, we're hoping that we can walk the walk. Um, it's it's difficult and there are going to be decisions made that are very difficult as we go through through time. Um, but um, but I think with the support of the committee, um, I think the board will be able to, and I will be able to make some of those difficult decisions. Respect. Yeah, I think one thing that has really drawn me to the league is its diversity. So, mm. me being able to see, you know, a black owner or a black coach and that being champion um, is something. It's a breath of fresh air, um, honestly. Um, and so, to that point, um, what are some initiatives that uh, Lisa is taking in the local communities, whether partnering with the clubs in those communities to kind of increase the game, um, increase awareness, as well as accessibility to the game for underserved yeah. and minority groups? Yeah, I think, you know, I think that's really something that uh, each club sh should address. I think, you know, if you had Peter Wiltier, he'd be telling you what they're doing in Chicago um, and, and so forth, um, because they are a, a, um, a lot more familiar with their markets and what they're actually doing. Um, but I will tell you that um, from a league, we have a directive uh, to our clubs to expand um, the pool of people that they would hire mm -hmm. um, or um, people that are, that are their partners in business. Um, and and um, so we're, we're attempting to do that at, at uh, the league office as well. I think we had a chance to um, uh, to do that when we took over Stumptown and we said, okay. And by the way, um, Rod uh, was hired because he was the best candidate. Um, and it, it, it's shocking to me that he didn't get a, um, a chance to, to coach a professional club in the MLS, I mean, I, or USL championship, I'm, I'm shocked. He's such a quality guy, and and uh, and he he really knows what he's doing, and he's um, he, he knows how to handle young men that that are under pressure, and I, it's, it, he's he's been a pleasure to work with, and so I've really enjoyed that. And naming Carrie uh, as, as as director of operations there sent another message, right? I mean, mm -hmm. come on, everybody, step up, right? I mean. So, uh, so we'll see. Well, you know, maybe Nisa can help lead uh, the other professional leagues into making some decisions that they should have been making all along. Yeah, for sure. I kind of want to stay in that vein a little bit as well. Okay. Um, we've had Rod on the show uh, a couple weeks ago, and he talked about how exorbitant the licensing fees are for to become a coach. The coaching licensing fees. Oh, Is there yeah. anything that? that the league is doing or any initiatives that the league may be, I guess, working on to kind of help, helping that, helping that regard to help, you know, kind of build your, the life yeah. levels for their coaches. Yeah. There's a lot on our to-do list. Um, I, I think, 
Um, you know, we've got we've got a lot of fish to fry right now. That is on our list to take care of. I will be honest and say we haven't we haven't gotten there yet. But yes, it is because we need to make um, the ability we need to make licensing available to more coaches than than there are out there right now. And that new process that they have is unfortunately very expensive. Yeah. All right, last question. So kind of staying in that vein as well. Um, yeah. Are there any programs that you guys are working on, like a path to ownership program for, you know, minority owners? So so we want to we want to see, you know, more minority owners in the soccer ranks. Um, and we are seeing it across the board when it comes to, you know, grassroots level. We're seeing some in USL League One and whatnot. Um, what's what's Lisa? What's Nisa doing to kind of help promote that a little bit? So. More? You'll probably know that a number of our clubs um, either have fan ownership or some type of investors that are coming in. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's the easiest way, it's the best way to get people comfortable with investing in, in, in the, our game and understand the complexities because uh, investing in, in a sport is not like investing in a, a widget manufacturer. It is, it, you know, there's there's a lot more to this, yeah. and so um, by in in out, you know Chicago or New Amsterdam are two great examples where they're bringing in a, a lot of different investors at different levels, and that will give them exposure um, to all right, how do I how do I get a bigger piece next time, right? Or once they understand, and so um, and. Uh, to a lesser extent, I think, or maybe maybe even a, the same extent, uh, Chattanooga and, and Detroit City with their fan ownership, those fans get, you know, although there's so many of them, but they do get exposure to how things are run. Um, but but um, the other model where they're actually investing some capital and they actually get a seat at the table really gives them some, uh, some real exposure as to, to how to get there from here. 100%. Uh, oh yeah, one more question. You know, um, this kind of came up. You mentioned the importance of some to MLS and your growth mm-hmm. and your exposure. Um, are we going to see like a NISA version of some, <laughs> some type of like loose organization to kind of help bolster the bolster the league from a marketing standpoint? Yeah, we've been uh, we've been discussing that at the board level. I'm not sure when exactly we're going to do that, but we have been discussing it. It is something that's important to the league. Um, because it's a, it's a, um, it, it, and not only for the media rights and for the sponsorship dollars that it brings, but also to be able to do that for other um, uh, venues or events, right? And, and yeah. get that outside capital coming in. So it's important, yes. All right, so that's it from our questions, but we'll go ahead and jump right. into one of our favorite games on the show here. Um, it's a game called No Card, Yellow Card, Red Card. So. This is, okay. rapid, this is a rapid fire game where I'll read off a news topic um, and you'll give your thoughts or opinion on that topic using the soccer card system. So no card. Okay. Is, I dis- no card is I'm, I'm fine with it. I agree. Uh, yellow card is I can go either way. And red okay. card is I disagree or you know I'm not fine with it. And kind of give like an explanation of why you gave that rating. So okay. I only have one uh, this week. Um, okay. I'll get right into it. No card, yellow card, red card. 
NWSL fined Chicago Red Stars coach and Gotham FC's GM for speaking out in criticism about how the league handled an incident of racial injustice, racial prejudice against Sarah Gordon and her, and her family members. So what card are you giving the league for their response to this criticism? Oh boy, oh boy, are you really trying to get me in trouble here? Um, uh, I would say uh, I would give it a, a, a red card. I don't agree. I, I think there has to be some discipline, you know, within the organizations that you kind of are singing the same tune. But if uh, the league uh, misses an opportunity to do something, um, I think um, I think the club has the right. To call them out on it um that will never happen in nissan i'll tell you because everybody loves me so much they would never call me out on publicly <laughs> but <laughs> but anyway um yeah so that, that was it, it's an un, you know, all these situations are unfortunate when they happen yeah that's, that's definitely good to know that nisa has a a much better policy when it comes to that so yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll see so okay. that's it for no card yellow card red card um okay now i'll move into um our black soccer history for this week so we'll be giving desiree ellis her flowers desiree ellis is a retired south african women's footballer and current coach of the south african women's national football team she is a founding member of the south africa women's national football team and the second captain of the national team she was awarded Confederation of African Football Women's Coach of the Year in 2018 after her team finished second place in the African World Cup of Nations and qualified for the Women's World Cup for the first time. So we want to salute Coach Ellis for blazing trails for women in South Africa football and for what she does for the game as a whole. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Totally agree. So that's it for this week. John, thank All you right. so much for coming on and taking thank the time. You. Um where can the people find you if you're on social media? Um, uh, I'm not. I'm not on social not. media. Smart I can't man. take the, I can't take the heat <laughs> or the <Smart>. hate. <laughs> no, you're a very smart man. I almost wish I could disappear from social media, but, you know, business calls. Yeah. Um, yeah. So well, I guess we can plug Nisa. So at, at Nisa um, on social media. Um, so that's it for the show. Subscribe, rate, and review. It helps us get discovered. Um, follow us on the socials at Two Cents FC. Um, check out the merch in our merch shop at Two Cents Sports um, It helps support the show as well as the network. Um, tweet us your comments uh, about the show. Let us know your thoughts, any discussion pieces, and and buy tickets in Chattanooga for a game. That's definitely buy tickets <laughs> or watch the, the game. game of being. How about buy, that? <laughs> buy membership to to the nearest Nisa club um, near you. Help support this league. They're trying to grow independent soccer. And something we love to see. So, till next week, catch you guys later. Thanks. Take care.